morning. Great to have you join us for Hope Awakens. If you're joining us for the first time, glad to have you with us and welcome. Last night's program, The Next Superpower, was incredible. What amazing insights from Bible prophecy. If you missed it, make sure you see it by going to our website, hopeawakens.com.au, and under the catch-up section, click on the program number 14. This morning's program is A House Divided, The Future at the Crossroads. However, before John Bradshaw speaks, Gary will answer some of your questions. Hi Gary, share with us today's questions and the Bible answers. Morning Rebecca, happy Sabbath to you and also to our viewers. Well, here are the questions. Question number one, can you please explain Mark 9.43, which reads... If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Mark 9.43. It says the fire will never be quenched, which sounds like forever to me. Well, thanks for that. That's an excellent question. Now, the answer is found in the book of Jeremiah where he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon in 586 BC. Notice what the Bible says. I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. Jeremiah 17.27 Now, because I lead tours to the Middle East, I've been to Jerusalem many times and visited some of the old ruins from that very time and that battle. And archaeologists have discovered what they call the burnt room in the old city of David in Jerusalem. They discovered Babylonian arrowheads from the battle. (laughs) But let me assure you, those ruins are definitely not burning today. In fact, none of the gates of the old city of Jerusalem are burning either. And they even discovered underneath the present golden gate of Jerusalem, another gate from previous times. And that's certainly not burning either. In other words, you see, unquenchable fire that the Bible talks about means that man can't put out the fire. When it's done its work of destruction, then it goes out. Now, question number two. I've done some terrible things in my life, and I feel God could not forgive me. Well, thanks so much for your honesty there. But I'm glad to say that you're wrong, dead wrong about the fact that God can't forgive you. And let me explain why. Archaeologists discovered the very seal impression of a king of Israel called King Manasseh. Even discovered a cylinder with his name on it. And this king lived around 650 BC, so he really existed. But notice what the Bible says. It says that this king was absolutely gross. I mean, gross, gross as in terrible. He was a shocker. The Bible says he practiced human sacrifice. He made blood flow in the streets of Jerusalem. He contacted the so-called dead. And he even put up pagan images in God's temple. And you see, God warned him through his prophets to repent, to turn around, but he wouldn't. So God allowed the Assyrians to take him off to Babylon. And while he was there in Babylon as a prisoner, he realized his stupidity and his terrible sin, stuff that you and I haven't even come close to and God forgave him he brought him back to Babylon after that and God says in Jeremiah 31 verse 3 notice the Lord has appeared of old to me saying yes 
I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. And God is saying that to you. Then in Isaiah 59 verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. So just go to God. Tell him your sin. He'll forgive. You know, the moment a sinner sincerely comes to Christ, that moment they're pardoned. Well, let's go to question number two. It says in Revelation chapter 13 verse 3 that the whole world will follow the beast from the sea. How can I avoid doing that when it seems almost everyone will follow the beast? Well, what a great question that one is. And the answer is found in Revelation chapter 13 verse 8. Sandwiched between the sea beast and the land beast, which John's going to talk about in this morning's program, it says these words. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Now, did you see it? People will follow the beast because their names are not in the book of life of the Lamb. The question is, how do you get your name in that book then so you don't follow that beast? Well, when we go to 1 John chapter 15 and verse 12, it says these words. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, you see, if you sincerely ask Christ to come into your life, your name goes into the book of life and you'll not follow the beast. But let me just warn you and everybody else that names can actually come out of the book of life. Now, notice Revelation 22 verse 19 on that. The Bible says, If anyone shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. So now the question is, how do you keep your name in the book of life? And Jesus gave us the answer right here in John chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. Notice what he said. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. Clearly you can keep your name in that book of life by following Christ by keeping his commandments. Then you won't follow the sea beast. Well, that's it, Rebecca. Back to you. Thanks, Gary. Don't forget, if you have a question, do send it to us. And if we can't get to it on the program, someone will be in touch with you to provide an answer. Now, at the end of the program tonight, we have another free offer for you, Revelation Today, and I'll let you know then about how you can claim it. Okay, let's join John Bradshaw now. Let's pray and then dive into our Bible subject together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful to have you here to speak to our hearts. Guide us in our thoughts. Bless us from your word. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. 213 words later, that short speech concluded with these words. This nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom 
and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. The Gettysburg Address was delivered four and a half months after the Battle of Gettysburg, in which the armies of the Union defeated those of the Confederacy. What's often forgotten is that President Abraham Lincoln wasn't the only speaker that day. He wasn't even the main speaker. That honor was bestowed on Edward Everett, a former U.S. Secretary of State, former senator and governor from the state of Massachusetts. Everett was considered to be the finest orator of the day. He spoke for more than two hours. Today, not a soul remembers what he said. President Lincoln spoke that day, November 19th, 1863, for just two minutes. Yet what was said in just 10 sentences is now one of the best known speeches in American history. Some years before he gave the Gettysburg Address, citizen Abraham Lincoln delivered a speech in Springfield, Illinois, upon accepting the Republican Party's nomination for senator. He was not successful in his run for the Senate. He lost to a Democrat named Stephen A. Douglas. But the speech he gave on that day began with these words. A house divided against itself cannot stand. He was talking about the United States. He stated his belief that the United States couldn't be half slave states and half free states. He said he didn't believe the country would fall, but that it would ultimately go one way or the other. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Lincoln was quoting Jesus, who had said in Matthew 12, 25, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. By the time Lincoln appeared on the scene, the United States had grown substantially since its very humble beginnings. The population of the country when Lincoln spoke that day in Springfield, right around 30 million. It was a long way from the year 1620, in which a little over a 100 passengers boarded the Mayflower and sailed from Plymouth on England's south coast. Around 30 crew were on that boat with the 100 passengers. After a couple of false starts, owing to its companionship leaking, the Mayflower arrived on the other side of the ocean. It was November when Cape Cod was first sighted. So they managed to arrive at a time of year when the weather was going to be inhospitable. By the time the winter was over, just over half the passengers and crew were still alive. Disease had taken the rest. Of the passengers, just over a third were Puritan separatists who had come to this new land in order to break away from the established Church of England. They were looking to create a society in harmony with their religious ideals. Some of them were destined for the colony of Virginia. Four of them were children who were indentured servants. It was a rough start for the colonists. But within 150 years, a lot changed. There was war between the 13 colonies and England. And in 1776, the Declaration of Independence was written. In 1776, with a population approaching just 3 million, the United States was formed and independence from Britain was declared. Drafted by Thomas Jefferson and approved unanimously by the Continental Congress on July the 4th, 1776, the declaration begins. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and then follow some of the most famous words written in the modern history of the world. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, 
liberty and the pursuit of happiness. The United States had declared themselves to be free and freedom is valued. Most societies value freedom, freedom of the press, freedom of expression, freedom of association, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. But wouldn't you expect that something as valuable as freedom would come under attack? And it has in so many ways. And that's because there's someone who hates freedom. We're caught in a battle, every one of us. What do we see? We see war. We see racism. We see terrorism. We see violence. We see illness. If you wanted to, you could simply say things are rough. You could say people can be lousy. Accidents happen. You could say people get sick. And that'd be fair enough. But somewhere along the line, you'd have to ask yourself why these things are so. Does it make any sense at all that one nation would wipe out or oppress another? Do random acts of senseless violence make any sense at all? The idea that people are bad. Why would people be bad? If you have a rash on your skin, the first question you ask is, where'd that come from? You know there's a cause behind it. You have a pain in your back. You know you've done something to aggravate your back. Cancer. Something has gone wrong. It's not always due to smoking or drinking or poor diet. Cancer can just come from out of nowhere, hit you by surprise. But even if we don't know the reason, reason, what we know is that cells have begun to divide without stopping and they've spread into the surrounding tissue. You know what I'm saying. Symptoms are evidence. Well, let me say that again. Symptoms of anything are evidence of something. And so we look at the world today and we say that we are seeing symptoms. That's what you see with anger and hate and violence and illness and all of that. These are symptoms. So what's the cause? There's one story in the Bible that really shows this clearly. The story of Job. And as we read that story, we're able to see what Job could not see. Job learns that his oxen and his donkeys were all taken by bandits and that his servants were killed. Next, he hears his sheep are gone. More of his servants are killed. Then his camels and more servants. Then... His sons and daughters killed in a freak storm. You'd think that'd be too much for Job. The Bible says in Job 121 that he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The next verse says, In all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. What was going on in the background is that the devil had told God that Job was only faithful because God had blessed Job so much. Next thing we see, Job was afflicted with a terrible disease, and it was all brought on by Satan. God is wanting us to see that we are in a spiritual battle, that it's very real. There's an enemy. And Satan's goal in all he did then and in what he's doing now was to lead Job and us to curse you to your face, as Satan said to God. Look, you're having a bad day. You've got to know the world isn't against you. Your family isn't against you. Luck isn't against you. There's someone very real who's doing all he can to choke the joy out of your life, to convince you that things are dark when they're not, hopeless when you have hope. There's someone who wants you to think that you're a failure, a spiritual failure, worthless or worthless. Because he's dragging this world off course. And on the other hand, we can't ever forget that someone chose to die so that we could rejoice in the promise of everlasting life. Jesus, 
the divine Son of God, lived on this earth and then died on a cross so we could say, He succeeded for me. He suffered for me. He purchased my pardon. He bore my guilt. He took my shame. Jesus did all of that for you. That's what the cross is about. That was the place of heaven's greatest victory because there, sin was defeated. There, pardon was offered. There, healing streams of grace were presented to the world, presented to you. So you could face every day knowing that whatever your lot in life, you have the assurance that God is with you, that angels minister to you, Jesus is your friend, and that you now have an eternal future. You'd expect freedom to be attacked, and we see that one day it will be. Ultimately, the house of this world is going to be divided over an issue, a significant issue. We'll find out about that right now. And I want to suggest something to you. Remember this verse, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. You should expect the unexpected. A good deception looks good. That's why counterfeiters don't make counterfeit $3 bills or seven pound notes or 12 peso coins. Our cat caught a bird a couple of days ago. You can be sure the cat didn't give the bird any reason to think there was trouble brewing. As Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. The United States, since its establishment, has been very open about its Judeo-Christian values. Even the currency of the nation bears the words, in God we trust. If you were the devil... And if you were planning to deprive people of freedom and there was a nation that was a bright and shining light for freedom, wouldn't you go after that nation? No doubt you would. As you look at the Bible, you find that the prophecies of the Bible discuss the United States and reveal that this nation will occupy an influential role down here in the close of time. Let's look at the book of Revelation starting in Revelation 13 and verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority." And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now, we looked last time at the identity of this beast. Now, remember, when we say beast... We're meaning a nation because that's a prophetic symbol. A beast in prophecy represents a nation. And so then there's another beast in Revelation 13, meaning another nation. Verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb. And he spoke as a dragon. The four nations we see in Daniel 2 
And then in Daniel 7, those are Babylon, and then Medo-Persia, and then Greece, and then Rome. So, so how do we understand this one? Let's look at it again carefully. Revelation 13, 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. Now, notice that it comes up out of the earth. If you look at the prophetic symbols in the Bible, you'll see that the sea is a symbol, and it represents in prophecy multitudes of people. It says that in Revelation chapter 17. Compare verse 1 with verse 15. It's very clear. So if the sea represents multitudes of people, a sparsely populated area would represent comparatively few people. Now, when does it arise? It had to have come up recently. It emerges after the four kingdoms and after the divided kingdoms and after the arrival of the little horn power. This is a new nation being depicted in the Bible. And how does it come up? Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and spoke as a dragon. Notice it says, two horns like a lamb. In the New Testament, a lamb always represents Jesus. Or let me say that again. In the book of Revelation, a lamb always represents Jesus. Except for here. This is the one exception. This is a lamb-like nation. We would have to conclude that in some way it is Christ-like. And notice there are no crowns on this nation. A crown would show that there's monarchy, a kingly authority, but there's no crowns here. What we're seeing here is something that stands for freedom. So here's what we know. It arises in a sparsely populated area. It is a young nation. There is no monarchy. It would assume a position of worldwide power and influence. The only nation in the world that fits that description is the United States of America. When it arose, it was known as the New World. It was a haven for people escaping religious persecution, and it was founded on the freedom of religion and government. But according to what we read in the Bible, there will come a time when a change comes over the heart of this nation. Well, how do we know that? The Bible says it will speak as a dragon. And notice what verse 12 says. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. According to what we read in the Bible, the second nation mentioned in Revelation 13 is going to use its power and influence to cause the world to follow the first nation. The first nation represented or mentioned in Revelation 13. We looked at that last time. The Protestant reformers looked at what was going on in their day and they said, the church dominating the world fits every specification of the power that's going to use its influence in earth's last days in a very negative way. They looked at the Bible and they saw what we see today. Look at how Daniel described it. This is all in Daniel 7. He described this little horn as being small, as arising in Western Europe, as rising after 476 AD. Remember, you had Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, then Rome divided into 10 nations. Then the little horn came up out of those 10 nations. 
That's the prophetic flow we see in the Bible. Daniel said it would destroy three of the nations. He said there'd be somebody at its head. It would speak blasphemy against God. It would persecute God's people. It would think to change times and laws. And it would reign for 1260 years, which it did, ascending to power in 538 AD, suffering a deadly wound in 1798 when its leader was captured by Napoleon's forces and taken into exile. That was Pope Pius. So what we're seeing in the Bible is that the second nation would cause the world to worship that first nation, which leads us to that big issue in earth's last days. Starting in verse 16 of Revelation 13, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So what's the mark of the beast? What is the mark of that first nation represented in Revelation chapter 13? Or what is the sign of the authority of the church of Rome? We've looked at this. Read with me. Which is the Sabbath day? Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Here's the answer given. We observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. That's very clear. Fundamentalists meet for worship on Sunday. Yet there's no evidence in the Bible that corporate worship was to be made on Sundays. The Jewish Sabbath or day of rest was, of course, Saturday. It was the Catholic Church that decided Sunday should be the day of worship for Christians in honor of the resurrection. One more. Reason and sense demand the acceptance of one or the other of these two alternatives, either Protestantism and the keeping holy of Saturday or Catholicity and the keeping holy of Sunday. Compromise is impossible. That was written by Cardinal Gibbons. Think about this. A church changed the Ten Commandments. A church changed the law of God. Now, if you think it's okay for a church to change the law of God, then you won't have a problem with this. But imagine if every church changed the commandments and every denomination had something a little different. One would be okay with dishonoring your parents. One might be okay with adultery. Another is fine with bowing down to idols, which is another story, actually. If you look at the Ten Commandments in the Roman Catholic teaching, you will see that the commandment about worshiping idols is either missing or is merged with the first commandment. That's because there was, and there still is, so much in the way of idols and images in that church. But removing a commandment would leave you one short. So the tenth commandment, the one about coveting, was cut in two and became both the ninth and the tenth commandments. One more quote. Perhaps the boldest thing, the most revolutionary change the church ever did happened in the first century. Well, the century's wrong, but we'll leave that as it is. The holy day, the Sabbath, was changed from Saturday to Sunday, not from any directions noted in the scripture, but from the church's sense of its own power. That's from a church in Michigan. Of course, that's not an official statement from the magisterium, from the Vatican itself, but it's the view of one priest and it agrees with history. So now we understand how this can be fulfilled. The Bible says, all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. The mark of the beast is very simple. When you accept the change to God's holy moral law, following what the beast says instead of what God says, 
you accept the mark of the beast's authority in your life. Ultimately, the mark of the beast is rejecting the sovereignty of God. The true Sabbath is humanity coming into communion with God according to God's will. And that's the seal of God. The seal of God's law is the seventh-day Sabbath. The mark of the beast is a counterfeit, where people choose their own way and put that ahead of the word and the will of a loving God. Well, how can it be wrong when everyone's doing it? We both know that a counterfeit is always very close to the true. Just because the majority is doing something, sure doesn't make it right. Might seem like a small thing, but it's not small to God. It's a matter of the heart. When God has your heart, you'll want to do his will as you come to understand it. And remember what Jesus said. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So what does it mean to receive the mark of the beast in the forehead or hand? Having it in your forehead means you have it in your mind. You choose it. You agree with it. You've given your mind, your assent to this. Receiving it in your hand means that even if you don't agree with it, you are going along with it. Now, some people enthusiastically say that the mark of the beast has something to do with buying and selling. So it's going to be a silicon chip or it's going to be a card or some such thing. This is where I'd like you to think about what the world is going through right now. We honestly don't know what the mechanism will be that will govern buying and selling. No doubt if there's computers involved, it makes it very simple. But there are already computers and chips involved at your bank, in your credit card, in your phone. No, the mark of the beast is that change in God's law that rejects one of God's commandments and replaces it with a substitute day, Sunday. How can that stop people from buying and selling? Well, let's try to separate a couple of things here. One is the mark of the beast. The other is how the mark will be enforced. Whatever the mark of the beast is, there will be some people who don't want to go along with it. So in order to force people to accept it, it will be said that if you don't take the mark of the beast, you won't be able to buy and sell. What will the mechanism be that prevents people from buying and selling? Again, we don't know. But we live in a society now that is edging closer and closer to being able to control people's spending or their buying and selling. Your paycheck, you don't, you don't see cash anymore. It's either direct deposited or you have to bank a check. But that's old hat. Now people pay with their smartphones. You think this is a process that could be manipulated? Sure. How do most people get cash these days? With a card out of a machine. Do you think it'd be hard to control a process like that? Nope. A huge amount of trading is done with cards, credit or debit. Have you ever been told, sorry, but your card is denied? What can you do then? You sure can't buy or sell. Now, I am not saying that these are the methods that will necessarily be used to prevent people from buying and selling. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. I am telling you for certain that the card, the chip, the computer is not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is that change made by human beings to the law of God. But what we see right now is that we are already living in a time when buying and selling can be controlled. Any new developments may just make it easier to do what is largely already being done. Hear me carefully. Whatever the mechanism is used to prevent people from buying and selling, that's not the mark of the beast. It's just a way to enforce the beast of the mark of the beast. A person's behavior can be influenced when they can't pay their rent or buy their food. It's an old practice. Nothing new about it. 
Sanctions and boycotts have been around for a long time. South Africa, Iraq, Cuba, other countries. Many people among us have lived in a time when money wasn't the answer to one's needs. During wartime, there was rationing. People simply couldn't buy and sell like they were used to. Think with me. For weeks now, people haven't been able to buy and sell as they have been accustomed in many parts of the world. It has all been upset. People have been restricted from moving by law. People have been confined, told they can't go anywhere. And this is a time of peace. Think with me now. Of course, the pandemic is very serious. It demonstrates to us that things can change just like that. Shops closed. Businesses closed. Cannot work. Cannot go out. Pause with me here. In some countries around the world, the police established hotlines so that if you saw somebody breaking the coronavirus restrictions, you were to call them and report them to the authorities. I have a friend. Listen to this. His neighbor left food outside so that the neighbor's unemployed son with two small children could come and get the food and take it home. The neighbor across the street screamed, what are you doing? Get out of here. Got into almost a fight with the... This is how people were acting over an illness. I'm not saying it's small. It's pretty big. Let me remind you of something. You have seen it play out over the last few weeks. When it's a time of crisis, society reacts. And there is coming a major crisis. Daniel speaks of a time of trouble coming such as never was since there was a nation. In a time of crisis, you can imagine people saying, we've got to come together. In a time of crisis, you can imagine people wanting to take time out, to let the environment rest, to give people a break. Good things. But when worship is regulated, mandated, enforced, when consciences are forced and your freedom is taken away and you are compelled to violate God's law, we've already seen churches closed. Now, for good reasons, not against that, for good reasons. A friend told me his church had police stopping by, making sure there weren't too many people there. They were recording the worship service. They were ready to close it down and kick people out. Looking into the future, we can see that this will happen again but on steroids. People will promote the mark of the beast as a good thing, as a help, as a rest, as a timeout. But when you have the law of God relegated and the law of a church promoted, the law of man above the law of God, that's where the disciple of Jesus has to say, that's too much, that's too much. Does anybody have the mark of the beast today? No, nobody. But we see in Revelation 13, the day is coming when this will be enforced. We can imagine it now. What we've seen over the last couple of months has primed us. We can see this happening now, no question. Then it will be the mark of the beast. Today, even though this thing is counter to the will of God, it has not yet become the mark of the beast. Can we envisage a time when society will be regulated? Yes, we can. Can we envisage a time when people will be prevented from buying and selling? When your movements will be restricted? When tracking devices will be placed on your phone? When people will volunteer to be tracked? When neighbors will call the authorities to report on neighbors violating restrictions? Ladies and gentlemen, society has already demonstrated 
we are ready. So it becomes important to make decisions that will see you stand faithfully for Jesus and his word. If you value the cross of Christ today, you'll value it then. If you've come to know Jesus as a friend today, you'll have him as a friend then. If you're serious about the word of God now, you'll be serious about it then. If your eyes are on Jesus today, they'll be on Jesus tomorrow. Jesus said that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Go back to the time of Cain and Abel. God told them what offerings to bring or how to worship. Abel followed God's instructions. Cain thought wasn't so important. He thought that as long as he brought God something, an offering, and worshipped God, details didn't matter. So he brought an offering of his own works, produce from the field. He was angry when God accepted Abel's offering, but rejected his own. God tried to get Cain to obey, but he persisted in rebellion. By the time he came to his senses, the body of his brother lay dead on the ground. Cain was cursed as a result, and God put a mark on him, lest future generations should take revenge. In the closing moments of earth's history, God asks us to worship him. He asks us to worship him specifically, tells us how, and all will be identified either by the seal of God, the seal of the law of God, or the mark of the beast. No, this has nothing to do with a laser beam or a chip in your hand. God's issues are more than skin deep. They go all the way to the heart. The question is, who will you worship? Who do you love? Do you value heaven above earth? The truth is, we've seen this before in the Bible. In the book of Daniel, the king passed a law that everyone must come out to the plain of Dura and worship an image. False worship enforced by law. God showed us this in the past. In Daniel 2, the image Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream was made from gold, silver, bronze or brass and iron. Then the feet were made out of iron and clay. Knowing that the head of gold represented Babylon and knowing Daniel's interpretation made it clear Babylon would one day pass off the world stage, Nebuchadnezzar had an image constructed that was made entirely of gold. He was saying, my kingdom will never pass away. He commanded everyone to come together and worship the image. But when they bowed down, three men stayed standing. They were Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Daniel's three friends. Daniel was evidently out of town that day. There's no mention of him in the story. Maybe the king knew he would never bow down. So he got Daniel out the way. But there they were gathered together to participate in an act of mandated worship. Worship enforced by law. Why do you think the story is in the book of Daniel? God is using it to show us what's going to happen in the future. The music starts. It's the law. They have to worship. But here's what we read. Some people come running to report to the king. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Now notice the reaction of the king. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, both, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? 
Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Now, there was a question. And what would their answer be? You know, the Bible says that the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He does a lot of roaring. But here's what you need to remember. First John 4 verse 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's your answer in temptation. God is greater. That's your answer in trial. God is greater. That's your answer when you're in need. God is greater. A vast army of unnumbered millions might come against you, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God is greater. Jesus died for you on an old rugged cross. And these three young men believed that. Look at what they said. Daniel 3, starting in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Don't you love that? Our God is able. He'll deliver us. But if not, even if he doesn't, we are still not going to bow down to your image, O king. Who wouldn't bow down to an image to save their lives? Wouldn't they be better off alive than dead? Why make such a big deal over something so small? Ah, but this wasn't small. This was faithfulness to God. Jesus has been so faithful to us. Why wouldn't we be faithful to him? God has loved us so much. We don't want to sell our faith now. Jesus is coming back soon. Why don't you make a decision now for Jesus? Don't worry about your lack of faith, your lack of strength. Take hold of the hand of God and the grace of God will flow through your life. Take hold of the hand of God and you will receive the righteousness of Christ. Jesus is your hope. Jesus is your righteousness. Jesus hides you under the shadow of his wings. We look into the future today and we see that there will be a world divided. You can stand on the side of Jesus by taking hold of Jesus by faith, yielding your heart to him, trusting in him and believing that he will do what he says he will do in your life. Wow, that was incredible, wasn't it? Absolutely mind-boggling. You know, this book is just so amazing. To be able to predict the rise of Protestant USA 2,000 years ago has got to mean that this is a supernatural book. It comes from God. And that the mark of the beast means that by keeping the beast day of worship, Sunday, we give our allegiance to that beast and to Satan. That is a sobering thought. Clearly, we need to make a decision. And John wants us to give you the opportunity to decide for Christ and against Satan and the sea beast power. Now, we want to get a decision card into your hand again this morning. And what we're going to do is go to our mobile phone. So get your mobile phone 
And here's what I want you to do. Take out your phone and text this morning's code word, FAITH, F-A-I-T-H. And if you're in Australia, text FAITH to 0428 833-386. And if you're in New Zealand, text FAITH to 875. Again, if you're in Australia, text FAITH to 0428-833-386. And if you're in New Zealand, text FAITH to 875. Now you're going to get a link from us, which will take you to a decision card on your phone, where it's going to ask you for some details on how we can connect with you. But go to the bottom of the card and you'll find five questions which I want to take you through right now. Number one, I choose to follow the teachings of Jesus as found in the Bible. If that's your decision, just check number one. Number two, I choose not to worship the beast or receive the mark of the beast. Check number two if that's your decision. Number three, I choose to worship him that made heaven and earth by keeping the seventh day Sabbath. You check number three if that's your decision. Number four, it's my desire to be baptized or to be rebaptized. Check number four for that. And number five, I've got some questions and I'd, that I'd like to discuss. And you can then write down some of the questions that you have underneath. Now, make sure you put in your first name and your last name at the top with your email address and your phone number so we can help you with your decision. And then click down the bottom, submit. Well, before we go back to Rebecca, let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you so much for this amazing subject that John took us through tonight. Thank you so much for your kindness and thank you for the decisions that people have made this morning Lord if some haven't yet made those decisions help them trouble them until they say yes to Jesus thank you for loving us thank you for sharing these things with us in your word in Jesus name Amen well back to you Rebecca Gary that program was really great it helped me see that the issue of the mark of the beast is all about who I worship and give my allegiance to Thank God for the death of Jesus that helps us overcome and helps us to follow Him. Now to get this morning's study guide, just go to our website, hopeawakens.com.au and click on free offer. Follow the instructions from there. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. Remember our next program is tonight at the regular time of 7.30pm or 7pm Central Australian time. See you tonight for Ancient Empire's Modern Mysteries. Music